0: You've come to the right place. Welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking with Leonard Lee, Executive Director of the 4Gen Network. Uh, Leonard's been on our show. He, in fact, was our first guest when we started, started this show however many years ago. Leonard, thanks for being on the show again.
1: <laughs> again, thank you. It's good to see you,
0: Zach. Yeah, yeah. Can, uh, well, since last time we had you on the show, things have changed a little bit. There's been a rebrand in the ministry and some adjustments mm-hmm. to what you guys do. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about the 4Gen Network? Uh, why do you guys exist and, and what do you guys do? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. Good question. Um, we exist to really just to work with uh, pastors and leaders and develop them. As disciple makers and the kind of people who uh, can train disciple makers in their communities in their churches uh, so that the kingdom of God actually becomes exponential uh, they add make disciples who make disciples who make disciples that's kind of our vision and uh, so we do that globally
0: mm. and so there's an international element and a domestic element to what you guys do correct
1: Yes. Yeah, we do. uh, We do both. Uh, I just returned back from West Africa. And I'm gearing up to head to Cuba, where we will work with uh, two different uh, sections of pastors from 12 of the 17 provinces or states in Cuba. And um, uh, we do five basic trainings for uh, for wherever we go. And each training is about 30 to 40 hours.
0: Wow. And what are you guys doing during that that time?
1: On this particular training, we are doing what we call uh, leading from the middle, and it is about um, uh, how pastors can uh, learn to lead in much more in the model of Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus, uh, uh, we we say there's three places of leadership in every uh, every community. There's a place of the front, and that's where the Speaking, the communication, the big picture is done. Then there's a place, what we call the back, while it's not a physical place, that's the place where the compassion and connection is done. Then there's a place we call the middle, again, not a physical place, but it is a place where training, equipment, development uh, is done, and the primary work of Jesus was done in the middle. Mm. Uh, He did miracles. He did preaching. He did compassion that's actually the smaller portion of what Jesus did when he was on the earth with his friends. Uh, Jesus led from the middle. And that is uh, what we're training pastors to do in um, in Cuba this time around, uh, because uh, most pastors are not trained to make disciples. They're trained to preach.
0: Mm-hmm. So like a, a water drilling organization or a orphan care or... Um, Some type of needs-based ministry would fall into the back. I would say yes. pastor speaking or sharing a sermon would would land on the front. And then all the stuff that happens in the middle, which uh, maybe we tend to focus less on within the global body, um, would fall in that middle category. Yeah?
1: I I would say yes. If you think about it, Zach, um, the work of Jesus, uh, he explained parables. That wasn't a sermon he preached. That was a conversation he had with his friends. That's the middle. He washed their feet. That wasn't something he did on display in the temple. It was something he did in an upper room. And when he was done, he said, now that you've seen me do this, I want you to do this. That was part of his equipping process. Mm. Uh, He continually said, now that you've seen me do it, you go do it. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus sat down, a rabbi in that culture would sit down, and draw his disciples to him. So Matthew 5 says, and Jesus sat down and motioned his disciples to him. The whole Sermon on the Mount in that context was a middle conversation where he was training his disciples about the kingdom. It happened to be done in the presence of a large crowd, but it was a personal conversation where he was saying to his friends, this is what it looks like to live in my kingdom. Mm -hmm. Abide in me. and you will bear much fruit. My father is the gardener. I'm the vine, you're the branches. That wasn't a sermon he preached. That was a conversation Jesus had with his friends as they walked to Gethsemane across the Kidron Valley. Um, All of the things that he taught about the Holy Spirit uh, in John 16, those are all middle conversations where he was preparing his friends uh, to, to be disciple makers and to reproduce. So that's the middle. And when, when we think of the back, think of it in terms of the connection of the community of faith, not the uh, not a mission organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a church in particular, the back would be where we pray for each other. The back would be our small group ministry. The back okay. would be visiting somebody at the hospital. The back would be where we do counseling. The front would be where we do our preaching and everything that goes into making that meeting happen. Mm. Takes about seventy to seventy-five percent of a pastor's time to make the meeting happen on Sunday, um, and it takes about ten to fifteen percent of a pastor's time to make the back or to create a, uh, a community or processes for the back. Uh, that leaves somewhere between five and ten percent for the rest. Usually, that's eaten up in administration. Uh, mm. It's the meetings that make the budget, and uh, it's those kinds of things. And so there's very little space for a pastor to say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to take a group of disciples and teach them how to follow Jesus. That's the middle.
0: Now, it seems to me that there's somebody that wrote a book with that title. Is there any plug that you want to put in here, insert in here at this
1: point? Yes. Uh, Thank you. That's good, man. Um, Yeah, I did write a book called Leading from the Middle. And it is how the leadership of Jesus launched a movement. Um, Jesus was not trying to start a church. He was trying to start a movement called the church. Mm. Uh, he was trying to say to the gates of hell will never prevail against this movement called the mm. church. Um, and then he set in motion. And so I have the book leading from the middle. Um, you can get it at leonardlee.com Just go to resources and you will find uh there's some other things I've written there, too, if you're interested. Uh, uh, maybe if you just want me to come and sit by you and cook you some brisket, I can do that, too. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, leonardly.com, you can order it there, and um, it'll take you right to a page where you can pay for it and ship it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And I've read that book, and and for our listeners, it's, it's a worthy time investment for sure. Um, Leonard, can you share a little bit about your background so we have some context for what we're going to discuss today and, and maybe just share how you got started and got into the disciple-making world?
1: Yes. I. Um, it goes all the way back to when I first met Jesus, uh, Zach. I was a little boy who uh, heard what Jesus offered, that he would love me, stay with me forever, forgive all my sins if I trusted him. And so I trusted him, and the very next day, I went to my neighbor's house and said, uh, I was, I couldn't even read yet. Uh, but I went to my neighbor's (laughs) house and I said, uh, uh, mister, if Jesus can do everything that they told me he can do, he's too good for me to keep. I got to tell you about him. You know, I think he flipped me a quarter, patted me on the head and sent me home. But, um, my heart has always been to say to people, uh, I want you to know who Jesus is. This is who, how he loves you. Uh, Then when I went into high school, I thought to myself, um, I got to tell people about Jesus. So I went on to a high school campus where I uh, barely graduated, and um, I decided I was going to tell everybody I knew on that campus about Jesus. And so about 100 of my friends trusted Jesus, Um, and everyone that did, uh, I bought them a Bible. I taught them how to read their Bible, taught them how to have conversations with God and pray. I taught them about the importance of God's people and connecting with them, and I taught them about uh, their own story. Uh, this is how you fit into a big story that God's telling. And I, I discipled them. That's all I knew about it. Um, went into uh, youth ministry at 17. S- did the same type of thing. Uh, went mm. into Bible college. Hated every second of it. No offense to Bible college. But it was <laughs> it was more about rules than it was about the kingdom. And they were more concerned about my morality, which I'm okay with. I want to be moral. But they right. didn't care about people not knowing Jesus like I did. And I'm not saying mm-hmm. mine was better, it just wasn't the same wavelength. And so um, I left Bible college, stayed in ministry, went to Youth for Christ uh, for about 11 years, planted a couple churches over time. And then about 12 years ago, uh, based upon just the calling to make disciples who make disciples, whose disciples make disciples, multi generational disciple making. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we launched a ministry called the 4 Network. It was called Link Ministries at the time, called the 4 Network. Uh, and what we do is we just travel the world and say, listen, if we can uh, equip you to be disciple makers, that's what we want to do. Uh, my education, mm-hmm. uh undergrad some theology and ministry, and I uh, have a master's in uh, Christian leadership or leadership development something like that i don't remember that tells you how much <laughs> i loved it. and then uh, i am on the one yard line with my dissertation for a doctorate in transformational leadership
0: mm. that's awesome quite a journey uh
1: it has been uh it has been quite a journey and uh, i owe it all to my wife merrily and jesus
0: yeah yeah and and as as you've walk this journey, what are some of the, especially as you've stepped into the 4 gen network over the last 12 years, what are some of the challenges and struggles you've come up against over the course of building this ministry?
1: Mm, Man, you know what? It it is resourcing a ministry. You already know that resourcing a ministry takes a lot of time. And whether Mm. that is financial, whether that's materials, whether that's people, uh, that's always a challenge in a world where People are busy. people, everybody's asking for somebody's money. Uh, and so doing that, but I'd say probably our biggest challenge um, on the international level, it's just getting there. Once we're there, the doors are wide open. People listen, they they're ready to hear, they're ready mm-hmm. to receive. Um, it's the challenge <clears throat> initially excuse me, was for me to learn um, better tools for training and equipping people cross-culturally. Uh, so that what we taught them could be taken into their culture, assimilated and taught by them. Uh, today we have, uh, by the end of March, we'll have 27 trainings in West Africa, all taught by Africans. Uh, mm. And that to me is is success, that's victory. Um, we have pastors around the world who are saying, I'm going to quit my job as a pastor to dedicate myself full-time to disciple-making so we can go to unreached people groups in my country, mm. uh, so we can go where Muslims are, so we can go where animists are, where where the pagans are, um, and that to me has been some of the most difficult processes to get moving. Um, but the 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 biggest hurdle we have domestically is uh, is helping people understand or unlearn what they've learned, so mm. they can learn something new. Uh, because we use words all the time that don't quite mean what we think they mean. <laughs> and so helping uh, pastors and leaders say, oh, well, I already do that. I already train my people. And I say, well, let's tell me about that. Well, I preach every Sunday. Well, preaching is preaching. Training is training. They're very different, both mm-hmm. incredibly important, but they're different. Uh, helping them see that, oh yeah, we do great discipleship. We have a series of nine Bible studies where we teach them theology. We teach them what it means to be a member. We teach them how to give. We tell them about Jesus. And at the end, they sign a covenant of behavior and belief. And now they belong. And disciple making starts with the belong. And the behavior and the belief come later. Uh Uh, And the church tends to start here in the U.S. with behavior and belief. And so it's literally a reversed process that Jesus used. Um, He said, belong to me, follow me, and now I will teach you how. And so some of the hurdles we face here in the U.S. are just simply uh, respectfully and honorably walking into places of worship. Churches where pastors and leaders who are honorable, wonderful men and women. No gripe against them, giving their very best to the kingdom, but saying there is a different way. There is a mm. there is a Jesus way, and not and try not to sound arrogant while we do it. I probably sound arrogant right now, so forgive me if you're <laughs> listening. I don't mean to. Mm. Um, so that's probably some of our biggest hurdles in the U.S. Um,
0: do you, uh, do you find that we'll just say audiences in the West? that you share this with um, have trouble, like say you you train somebody in West Africa who goes on to be a disciple maker and who may not be uh, seminary trained or have a doctorate or a master's in something, but they become a disciple maker. Do you find pushback with Western audiences that say, how is he or she able to be in some type of leadership position like this if they're not, they have not gone to seminary, they have not been ordained, they have not been, whatever the requirements are that we put on leadership and disciple makers in the West, Is that, do you run
1: into that a lot? I don't actually, because I think that there is a two standards to lead in the West, we say, you know, you got to go to Bible school. You got to do these things and uh, accomplish these things. And then we measure you and such. When we look at people from other countries, we, we accept the fact that they haven't. We say, oh, they're just really spirit filled, man. They're just on fire. And we accept their fire as, quali- as qualifications. But nine out of ten pastors in the developing world right now are untrained, are mostly untrained. Uh, And so when we go to another country, the first thing we do is we teach um, the Disciple Makers Hermeneutic, which is just basically the discovery of meaning. Um, And then we teach, here's how to read, understand, and teach the Bible. It takes 40 hours of training uh, to do that. But by the time they're through, they have an amazing foundation of how the scriptures were put together how to teach it, how to study it, how to discern it, and how to to read it from the perspective of a disciple maker. Mm. We always start there.
0: Okay. And then on the flip side, <clears throat> the this idea of leading from the middle, walking with somebody for an extended period of time, showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus, showing them how to read their Bible, that that is it sounds like a much more messy process, right? And yes. so, um, and a, a much longer term investment, right? So if I'm going to go disciple somebody and like truly disciple them, like Jesus disciple them, that's a commitment to an extended period of time, yes. And being in relationship with that person in the messiness that comes with that. And so, do you find even within the models that you're speaking about with training for a certain number of hours is that close like um what am i trying to say here is that is that still functioning under like a pulpit driven somebody teaching from the front to a people who are just listening to somebody speak model or Are you able to work in with what you're doing? Are you able to work in this, like walk alongside me as I show you what it looks like to follow Jesus mentality and structure?
1: Does that make sense? It makes great sense. And it's a good question. Um, Whenever you, whenever you lead from the front, it should always push people towards the middle. Should always push people towards the place of becoming a disciple who makes disciples. Um, The, and so when we when we train, a lot of it's from the front, but it's more than just teaching. It's a training process, which means that there's an intended outcome. There is a uh, a repeated process. There is some mm. uh, memory memory uh, tools that are given to them. There's a lot of interaction. There's group discussion. There's individual discussion. There's a lot of writing down. There's a lot of modeling the idea of the middle from the front as we train people. Uh, good training has layers. It starts with this piece, then the next piece, then the next piece. And so all the training we do is layered to that sense. Mm. Whereas teaching uh, has to do with the trans- the transferring or the, or the communication of a principle or a truth um, for the purpose of application. Um, and, and it has the ability to build a consistency of knowledge, but most preaching today is really built upon application as we see mm. it and you'll listen to it. So, um, the training model has, has to do, so like I just did training in, 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 in West Africa. And, uh, by the time I was through, uh, I had 85 pastors who could recite to me every point in the training from memory because right. we walked them through it and we had them repeat it and we had them say it again. and and when they didn't say it with enthusiasm, I stopped and said, okay, I've come 10,000 miles. I need a little bit more from you today. And they laugh and okay, and so they gave it to me and <clears throat> and so by the time they were through, and the reason they could repeat it is because each layer built upon another layer that led them to, What's next? And so I always say good training always leads somebody to ask you a question that takes you to where you're going next. Mm. And uh, and so I'll say, I'll say, okay, there's two themes in your Bible. God's the creator, God's the Redeemer, and we'll walk them through scriptures to show them the places. And now what does that mean? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about his mission in the world? Um, mm. and so when we walk them through that, it's a it's a continual process. And so can those pastors repeat it back to me now? I don't know. I've got people on the ground who hold them accountable. I've got other pastors mm. that we train who are working with them, who are calling them, who are saying, you promised to go train somebody else with this. Who do you have in mind? How have you set that up? Uh, before I even got home, which was a 32-hour travel time from where I was, I was getting reports of pastors saying, we've already begun to meet with a group of people to teach them how to read, understand, and interpret scriptures, they're mm. passing it on to their people through a disciple maker's lens.
0: Mm. <clears throat> That's awesome. Why? Why do you think training leaders is so important and critical for this idea of multiplicative movements?
1: Um, because where there's no training, there's no mission. Um, you know, you 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 know this from being an athlete. Um, mm-hmm you had a mission on a team to win games uh, and to be a team that worked together. And if you never went to training, never went to practice, uh, there's a problem with that teammate um, because their, their, their mission is different. Uh, We know this in the military. Um, Navy SEAL said, uh, and I don't know who it was, um, but he said this, he said uh, in times of crisis, we do not rise to the occasion we sink to the level of our training Mm. Uh, and and the church is very much like that and uh, i was with a group of uh, pastors and leaders in uh, northern california and i i said um, if your favorite football team which happened to be the niners uh, where i was trained for their mission to win games exactly like you train for the mission of the church which is to make disciples who make disciples to bring the good news of Jesus to every tongue, tribe, and nation. It said, if they trained the same way you did, what would their record be? And everybody in the room went, uh, I said, I I probably don't need to say anymore, do I? Uh, We just don't train people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we have people who were telling, you need to go share Christ with somebody who've never been taught how. You need to disciple somebody who've never been taught how. Nine out of 10 people who attend the church today are first generation disciples meaning they've never been mentored or discipled mm. uh, but we're telling them you should go you should go do this uh, and this is a, that's a. US number but I think it's international as I sit with pastors across the world. Mm. Um, uh, of the, of the, if you have a hundred people and 90 of them are first generation disciples, of the 10 left who are not first generation, eight of those 10 were discipled by a ministry outside of the church. Campus Crusade, Youth for Christ, Navigators, Young Life. That means the church is effectively discipling two people Mm. for the mission. Now, take a step back. Um, Law enforcement knows this. Military knows this. Sports knows this. Artists know this. Musicians know this. uh, Educators know this. You train people. The church seems to have forgotten this. Um, I, surveyed, uh, I surveyed almost 2,000 churches, pastors, and leaders, and I asked them this question. What specifically do you do to train people for the mission of making disciples who make disciples whose disciples make disciples? And of the 2,000 churches that I received answers back from, and this was in personal conversations as well as written, uh, only two, two churches said we have a plan. Um, and both of them, their plan was to, every couple of years, hold a, hold a training on, on evangelism. Mm. You know, now I know there's churches out there doing something better and doing something different, um, but the churches that I've been serving, they're not doing it at all. Mm. And, uh, and so we wonder why there's 325,000 churches in the United States. That's one for almost every hundred people. And the average size of a church is 85. Uh, We wonder, why aren't we making a bigger difference? Uh, Why Mm. are we fighting over things? Why are we arguing when the mission of Jesus is so clear? Make disciples everywhere you go. So that's one of the things that we're we're holding on to, the fact that uh, training is so essential. And it was what Jesus did so well. You know, Jesus said uh, when a disciple is fully trained or when a, they, they, they don't exceed their master, they become like their master. Um, and that is a part of the process of bearing fruit is to imitate God, imitate mm-hmm. Jesus. And so walking people through that conversation, um, how do you make disciples who make disciples? Well, most people just don't know how to do it. And it's not because of ignorance. They just never been taught. Um, yeah, and so that's part of why we, we hold on so tight to multiplication and training go hand in hand
0: yeah that's good well hey let's uh, take a moment to hear from today's sponsor but we'll continue our discussion on disciple making with Leonard Lee when we return are you looking to grow your ministry but don't have the money or marketing knowledge to make that happen there's good news Google offers an advertising grant to churches and ministries that is worth $10,000 per month. This means that if your ministry is a 501c3 nonprofit, you are eligible to receive $120,000 per year in free advertising dollars. This allows you to place ads at the top of Google search results pages and drive thousands of visitors to your ministry website every month. Our sponsor, Click Nonprofit, helps your ministry acquire this Google ad grant and then manages your Google ads to ensure you get the most out of the grant. Schedule a free consultation at clicknonprofit.com to learn more about how this grant can help your specific ministry. Mention the Ministry Growth Show when you sign up to get 20% off your first three months of management. All right, welcome back to the Ministry Growth Show. We've been talking with Leonard Lee from 4Gen Network about training pastors and leaders uh, and how those efforts are critical to multiplicative movements, Leonard? Can you share a little bit about your own journey through the Scriptures as God has revealed His plan to you for the Church, um, in in the context of this multiplicative movement model?
1: Oh man, absolutely! I, uh, uh, Zach, when I was about thirteen and a half years old, I uh, I was literally on the precipice of doing the biggest <coughs> thing of my life. Uh, I just about uh, ruined everything in my life. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart just as a kid and said, if you go down this road, I will always love you, but you'll never recover. Hmm. Uh, you will not let yourself recover. And that was more indicative of of my brokenness than the grace of God. Right. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, I stopped myself. It literally shook me. So now what do I do? You know, I'm... <laughs> I'm uh, and, and the very next day, a man came to me and he said, Leonard, I dare you. Well, if you know 13 and a half year old Leonard, you can dare him to do something. And he was going to, he was going to do it. Uh, it didn't matter what it was. He says, I dare you. i man, what is the day? I don't care. And he picked up my Bible and he handed it to me. He says, I dare you to read this for an hour a day for one year straight. I went and got my little mom's little egg timer, you know, remember the old fashioned kind of you, you yep. wind. it's got a little down, tick, 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 ding. And for yep. one year straight, I read my Bible for an hour a day. And it changed everything in my life. It healed the broken pieces that I had. Uh, it allowed me to see God differently. It allowed mm. me to understand that the Bible is one big story that points to Jesus that is a reminder that um, God has a mission in this world. And that began to shape my life for everything as I, as I read the scriptures. Uh, the next uh, year, I finished my year, so what now do I do? Uh, me and a buddy of mine decided that we were going to read through uh, the entire New Testament, um, one book at a time, every, every book for 30 days. And so we started with James and we read it every day for 30 days. And then we went to First Peter, Second Peter, First Second John, Third John, and we went through the entire New Testament. And on the big long books that have more chapters, we divided it up. And so uh, something happened to me that I didn't plan, but uh, the Scriptures began to live in me differently. And so mm-hmm. every time I, er, literally every time my brain would shift to something, every time a decision needed to be made, Scriptures would come to me that said. This is how you make the decision. Uh, it taught me that the wisdom of God is not something I apply to a situation. The wisdom of God is fuel so that every moment of my day, I'm living wisely. So when I come hmm. to situations, I don't have to go, well, what do I do? I know what to do. And that comes from the word of God. Patience is not a something I choose when I'm stressed. Patience is the way I live because I love and I'm loved because Mm -hmm. love is patient. And so when I come to a person or a situation, I'll say, oh God, give me patience. I say, God, thank you for the patience you're giving me. And that's how the word of God transformed me. And so with that being said, uh, that has driven uh, my entire life when it comes to disciple making, because I want people to be able to understand and know the word of God, to use it and to live out the mission of scripture. Um, we, I read everything through the lens of God's mission. That's the disciple makers hermeneutic. When I taught, was taught hermeneutics in Bible school, uh, we were taught always start with meaning, you know, and how to discern meaning. And there's all these different types of literature and then language, culture, and everything. Uh, when I start with hermeneutic, I start with a single mission from God before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. That's what he wanted to do. So everything he wrote is to tell that mission. Everything he's done is to reveal that mission. That changes how I read my Bible. That changes how I understand it. Now, I still use the other hermeneutic of meaning, context, culture, history, words, language, and so on. Um, but I start with mission. Uh, and and so that those practices as a kid, as a teenager shaped and brought me that I couldn't put my I couldn't like write it out and say you know I'm this brilliant 15 year old and here's my 15 points <laughs> I just it just became a part of what happened in my life later on as I got older and started leading people to Christ and discipling them that became a part of what I showed them God has a mission and he wants you to be uh, we, we say it this way the most loving thing I can do for anyone is to show them how they fit into the story that God's telling. Hmm. And when they find themselves in that story, now they become friends and partners with God in such a unique way. So that's kind of—I uh, I th- think—that answers your question. If not, yeah. pretend it did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, that's good. So as you've as you've traveled and and been all over the world training and equipping pastors, do you find that disciple making principles that you're teaching? apply you talked about this a little bit touched on it but apply cross-culturally and are you making cultural adjustments to the content that you're teaching and specifically as you were talking uh one of the things that like sparked an an interest in my mind i'm reading through this book called leading with story by a guy named rick sessoms we're actually going to have him on the show this week um but he talks about 70 percent of the world functions in oral tradition or story centric culture. And like, I'm super passionate about story. You know, this, um, we believe in the power of story. We believe in the, the biblical narrative as this grand story of redemption. Right. And, and yet his statistics says that 90% of the Christian world or the, 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 the Christian missions world is trying to reach a a oral tradition world through literary means, right? And so, <laughs> how how do you think through that? Especially when we are just talking about like the cultural adjustments that you make um, when you're teaching and training internationally. Um, how does how does that come into play? And, and are you thinking through this from a oral tradition mindset, or uh, when you're when you're speaking and training in oral tradition cultures, I guess?
1: Uh, yes, I would say at any given point in time, uh, probably not in more Western places like Cuba, where they have education for everybody, mm. but in places like India, North India, Africa, many countries in Africa, parts of Asia, and even some parts of Central America and South America, where education is is very difficult to come by, um, probably anywhere from uh, ten to forty percent of our people can't read uh, or read well, and so. Right. Uh, And so we're constantly trying to put things in light of, of a story. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is just an observation. It's anecdotal. Uh, When I want a room of people to, to be quiet, I start telling a story. Um, And uh, you know, I'll say in the beginning, God did something and the whole room will be quiet because now they've entered into a story that God's doing something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we do is, is we teach everything in principles. Versus, uh, instead of saying, well, here's, here's systematic theology, here's harmatology, and you know, all the different ology words, we don't use those. We teach everything in principles. We take those principles, and we study the culture before we get there to say, what are the same principles that apply here? Um, and we use that. And then um, whenever I do training, I am always trying to tell four basic stories for every session I do. I want to tell my story and that's a bridge. And my story could be anything from, uh, I was born in a small town. Anybody who is born in a small town now goes, Oh wait, maybe there's something, there's a connection. Mm -hmm. My story always serves as a bridge of service and connection. Uh, I might say our family got up to a very difficult start. There was alcohol, there was Well, anybody who's experienced that now has a bridge. Um, And even people who haven't can say, I understand who that person is. Then I always try to tell your story. That's the second story. Uh, Your story might be some of you have come into this and you're skeptical. Some of you are saying, how in the world can I do this? I don't read and write like you. You have this advanced degree. Some of you might be saying, I don't live or work in a community where there's anybody near me who loves Jesus. Uh, and so I'm just telling their story. And as I tell their story, I'm always trying to bring hope to that story. Some of you are saying this, but I want to tell you about a God who says you can do it, who, about a Holy Spirit who enters our life. And, and so uh, always leads us to God's story. Uh, God's story is always going to be what the Bible says about God and what it says about what God wants done. Uh, in in places where uh, reading and writing are minimal uh, i don't make people open their bibles and read every word i will open the bible and say here's a story if you want the address to this story it's right here but let me tell it to you and i'll do it in a story form Um, and i try to use not use slang but use their vernacular and so Mm -hmm. there's my story there's your story then there's God's story, which is always the story that God's telling through scripture. And then there's our story. Our story is what happens when we, it's always the application piece. What happens when you and I begin to see the same thing about this God who loves us? What happens when you and I, what happens if 50 people in this room say, from this day on, I'm gonna be a disciple maker. I'm gonna give everything I have. What happens? And we begin to tell the possibility of what is when we follow Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, and that's our story. Um, and then I can highlight our story through history, through other people's stories, through Bible stories, through maybe somebody in the room's own story, through somebody's testimony or testifying that this is what God has done. This is how He's used me. Um, and so that's sort of our um, our our process in moving people through. Uh, but we always teach in principles. We always involve stories. Um, and then we try to translate whatever we do into their language. And if we can't translate it into their language, we write everything on paper. And so you'd see big sheets of butcher paper on the walls and it's written. And then I get somebody who can write it in their language and we'll literally put it next to them. So they see mm. both. And then they, it's not uncommon to see uh, Pastors walking around with their cell phones, taking pictures of the walls. Mm. Uh, This, I want to remember this. And we mark it day one, day two, day three. So they're able to have all that information right in front of them in their language. Mm.
0: So with story being so important, especially these four stories, my story, your story, God's story, and our story. How do specifically around the, uh, I guess, my story? how do testimony and story come into play in your models and what you're teaching? Is that a part of the training process? Is teaching somebody how to give their testimony?
1: It is a part of one of our trainings. Um, And uh, we're constantly drawing that out as, as a part of the conversation. Mm. Um, But we have a training where we actually teach them to unpack and, and identify their own story of, of connection with God uh, from the moment that they trusted God and actually before that. And so what we found is that some of the tools that we use in, in the West are not effective in, in other cultures. And so when I'm helping Mm. pastors say, uh, or other people in Africa or India say, I'm discovering my testimony. I want to eliminate all the church words, you know, I'm blessed and hallelujah and you know, all that. And so I make them answer this question. Before I met Jesus, my life was lonely. And they'll say the whole sentence five or six times. Before I met Jesus, my life was empty. Before I met Jesus, I had no hope. Before I met Jesus, I was a drunkard. Before I met Jesus, uh, I was uncertain of my being loved, whatever it was. And they begin to fill that in. Mm. Um, and then the next sentence is, I first heard about Jesus when, and so we take them through that process. And it's really fun because you'll see somebody stand up and say, before I met Jesus, and they'll go through all five or six of those. And I first heard about Jesus when my mother told me, a pastor told me, a missionary entered my village. Uh, I had a vision of Jesus who came to me, uh, and told me he was the way truth and the life. And it brought me out of Islam. Uh, whatever those things are i first heard about jesus when um, the third one is when i heard about jesus this is what i this is how i responded uh, some people say i responded by waiting some people say i responded by asking him into my life to forgive my sins some people say i responded by doing more research i responded by following him so now by this time here's what's happening they're going to Before I met Jesus, my life was like this and like this and like this and like this. I first heard about Jesus when my grandmother told me that God loved me and showed me what his love looked like. Mm. And when I heard about Jesus and how much he loved me, I asked him if he would come into my life and forgive my sins. Since I have met Jesus Here's what he has done. That's the fourth piece to that. Uh, Since I have met Jesus, I recognize that I am forgiven. and recognize that I am loved. My hope has returned or been made new. My joy has come. And so they begin to tell those stories in their words and their language. And then what I do is I make them have, take those four questions and put that into a, a one minute testimony, a one minute story. You have one mm. minute to tell this, and they'll expand it later on, but I want them to hammer down and nail down the basics of their story. Mm-hmm. And So we actually do a training for that. That's our th- in our third training where uh, we call it too good to keep. Jesus is just too good for us to keep. And so we want them to understand I can use this story mm-hmm. to invite other people to follow Jesus and to proclaim the goodness of God everywhere I go um, and, and, and make him famous. And so that has been, uh, that's been how we use that, but we constantly have stories being told in the midst of our, of our training. Um, has anybody ever done this? Has this worked? And then in a lot of our trainings, they begin to apply it literally the, t- the second they walk out the door. And so they'll literally come back the next day and say, um, I was on the bus yesterday and I met a bunch of teenagers. I was telling them this something I was learning today, and this is what happened. Mm. Now they're telling a story. I had no idea that it would work, but it did. Or I got confused. Help me understand it better. So there's a constant reenactment of what is in real time, but also what God has been doing.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So then the stories that are coming out of your ministry, what are you guys doing to communicate the, the stories of how God is moving through your ministry To your partners, your audience, while, especially in your context, while staying respectful to the security of those that you're serving and walking with, um, is is that, do you find that that balance is difficult and and have you found a nice balance or, or is that always a challenge?
1: That's always a challenge, especially when I'm in India or Africa or places where Islam is strong or where it's against the law to follow Jesus or mm-hmm. Christianity is oppressed. And so I'm always very careful uh, and uh, I always get permission to tell a story. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I, I, I just begun to shoot videos better to just hey I'm walk, of, of me walking out of a building going, hey, behind me right now, this is taking place. Um, mm-hmm. And this is what God has been doing as people respond, pray for this person or pray for this moment. And then I, I am, uh, I don't think social media works like it used to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think social media is such a great tool uh, for getting people uh, who are looking for their story to find your story. Um, mm-hmm. And then I text it, I email it, I messenger it to probably, probably 500 people every time I have a story. Uh, so we do that. Uh, we try to write stories. And so uh, about four or five times a year, I get people from other countries to write a piece of their story. And I send that out in my letter. Um, and then we put, try to put pictures because pictures tell stories. You know, a mm-hmm. picture paints a thousand words. And so my letter this month for, uh, for February is got several photos of different things that we do. Um, and uh, so we're constantly trying to do that while respecting the fact that there are security issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are people who, if, if their name becomes known, they could be arrested or they could target the whole group of pastors that are meeting uh,
0: right. together.
1: So we're, we're careful, but we're, we're constantly trying to. Uh, and then personally, just telling people hey, the coolest thing happened. Uh, I was in West Africa and they asked me to speak at a group. Uh, We had over 500 people meet Jesus. I thought it was about 100. So it's the first time a pastor ever undercounted, right? Um, uh, I thought it was about 100. And uh, my friend said, you did not count very well because we had over 500 people meet Jesus and we need more Bibles. And so Mm. uh, we bought Bibles for everybody that prayed to receive Christ. I'd go back and buy 300 more Bibles. Mm. And uh, so those are the kind of things that we're constantly doing.
0: Good problem to have though.
1: It is, isn't it? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, hey, Leonard, this has been really, really incredible. It was so nice to have you back on the show. If uh, if people want to learn more about what you're doing, if um, there's church leaders out there that are hearing this and, and want to get connected and and take a look at what it could look like for you to come. Do this kind of stuff within their church context, how can they get a hold of you and learn more about your your ministry?
1: Oh, you can go to uh you can go to my website, literally.com, and you can contact me there. You can also go to uh the 4 gen network. Uh it's uh 4-gen net. Mm-hmm. Uh go there. Uh we need to update that website. You probably look at it and go, Leonard, shame on you. Um <laughs> uh but my updater is now doing something different. And so um we are, you can get me there, uh, or you can just, uh, I, do you have show notes at all? Um, yeah, I can add okay. stuff to the show notes. Just put my phone number and my email in there. Uh, Leonard L at 4 net is the easiest way to get me, uh, okay. or my phone number. You can just, you know my phone number. Just drop it in, and and they can call me and, and uh, get sent a voicemail. <laughs> all
0: right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, hey, can I pray for you as we wrap up?
1: That'd be awesome.
0: Father, thank you so much for Leonard. Uh, What a blessing he's been to me over the years. Um, Thank you for his willingness to answer your call and and walk with you uh, in this disciple-making process. Thank you for um, his ministry. I pray that you would continue to go before Leonard and 4Gen Network um, as they make disciples who make disciples. Lord, we love you and thank you that we get to be a part of this work. Um, and, uh, yeah, just pray that you would lift, we just lift Leonard up to you, um, and ask for your blessing on him and and the ministry and that, uh, it would just continue to have incredible fruit and kingdom impact, uh, for your glory, for your name, Lord, we love you in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Amen. Hey, thank you, sir. Very much. appreciated.
0: Yeah. It was good having you on the show again.
1: So we'll do it again in 12 years.
0: There you go. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Have a good rest of your day, Leonard.
1: Will do. All right. Bye now.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Ministry Grow Show. If you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate it if you rate and or review us on the iTunes store. And make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have a story to share with other ministry directors and pastors, or know someone who would be an incredible guest on the Ministry Grow Show, let us know. We love connecting with ministry executives and sharing their wisdom and insight with our audience. Just send us an email at info at ReliantCreative.org. And lastly, if you need help telling your ministry story, we would love to share how we can help in that process. Check out Reliant Creative at ReliantCreative.org.
1: See you next time.